So welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome to Black and Corporate Executive Coffee Chats. So excited. This is our inaugural episode. So cue applause. Um, I, I just want to start by briefly introducing myself because, you know, you all don't know me. Um, my name is Taylor Tucker. I'm a 26-year-old Chicago native, graduate of North Carolina A&T State University with a BS in industrial engineering and a current management consulting consultant at Deloitte Consulting. I wanted to start this podcast just to shine light on Black leaders in the corporate space and give people a chance to get access to coffee chats they may not be able to set up. So that's just a quick little background on me. I want to transition to welcome our very first guest to the show, which I'm super excited about, who I'm super excited about, uh, Mr. Cordell Hardy, or should I say Dr. Cordell Hardy, <laughs> um, who is the Vice President <laughs> of Corporate Research and Development at the St. Paul, Minnesota-based 3M Corporation, which manufactures industrial safety and consumer products. It ranks number 24 in the world's most admired companies and on the, on the list by Fortune and 103 on the Fortune 500 list. Cordell's story began in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A lover of science and math, he went on to Florida A&M University where he received the bachelor, his Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering. He went on to receive his PhD in chemical engineering from the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. Cordell also gives back. He sits on the board of directors for the Sine Foundation. Hopefully I'm saying. Sine, yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to support holistic development of youth as they matriculate through school. He's also on the advisory board of his alma mater, FAMU FSU College of Engineering, and he's the treasurer of Minnesota Community Care. He's also a loving husband and father of four. <laughs> wow, mm -hmm. he, he truly does it all. And hopefully we can get into that and, 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 and how he, he's able to manage it. So let's give a warm welcome to Cordell. Give him a call there. <laughs> Thank you, Cordell. Uh -huh. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Yay. I'm, I'm really happy to have you. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm here. Uh, wherever you want to go, you, you lead me and I'll follow and then I'll offer anything I have. So. Yay. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into the show with an icebreaker because I think it's a great way just to get us all kind of loose and ready to chat and get into the harder questions later. So this sure. will be light and, okay. and hopefully fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little lightning round. All right. So I'm going to go through 10 questions. Okay. Okay. Quarter zip or hoodie? Uh, hoodie. Okay. Iron yeah. or dry clean? Oh, for sure, dry clean. I hate ironing. <laughs> I haven't ironed anything in years. <laughs> okay. Soup, salad, or sandwich? Uh, salad. Okay. Yeah. Morning, morning workout or morning meditation? Uh, I try to do a little bit of both. Yeah. So I, it's not. I, I'll get up and uh, spend some time reading and pray, and then uh, try to get a workout in. Uh, so I try to do both. Okay. Yeah. Golf or basketball? Uh, I would normally say basketball, but as you get older, <laughs> you learn a little, learn a little bit about joint pain. So uh, I don't play hoops as much anymore, and my knees uh, started to tell me I needed to cut back on that. Um, I, I like golf, and I'm not good. I don't play a lot. But okay. Definitely basketball. Yeah. Okay. Would you do a thank you email or a thank you note? I should do a thank you note, but I do do a thank you email. 
Okay. Laptop or desktop? Uh, I actually use both. Um, the laptop and then now connected to cloud stuff, that, that's sufficient. Um, so yeah, laptop. Okay. Are you an early rise grind or night owl grind? Night owl grind person. Yeah. Um, that's a, the, the, the reality is also a little bit of both. More early though. Um, so as, as we'll talk about, my, uh, my job is very global. I'm the, actually uh, the, the only U.S. direct report in my organization of hundreds of people. The closest uh, managed person is in Canada, and we're in dozens of countries. So um, I actually kind of span the time zones uh, in, in my role and do it you know, much more in the early morning, though, uh, than, than in the evening. Okay. Now, would you do a briefcase or backpack? Oh, backpack for sure. Yeah, that's right here. So, <laughs> you know, I, I have never owned a briefcase and I am uh, in my 40s. I don't see that happening. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Nice. And last one um, Are you an audible person or a physical book type person? Um, wow. That's a good question. Um, that you, you didn't you didn't leave space for digital books and that's probably where i end up most um i like audiobooks but it, it, i mostly just view and scan I, I read pretty quickly so that's that's what i'll normally do okay hey well that concludes our little icebreaker trying to keep track um, those are those are easy like you promised Okay, good. Okay, good. Maybe some hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. We'll get into that. Um, so thanks again, Cordell, uh, for joining us. We want to just start, I guess, at the at the roots. Sure. Um, so just a little background on you. You know, know you're a Philly native. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, know that you are early um, lover of, you know, arithmetic and doing science you know you end up having a career in chemical engineering so yeah. kind of went in line but where was that spark uh when you started you know what were what were kind of the things going on when you were a kid sure so, yeah, yeah no ha happy to share about that um and if my mom or when my mom listens to this i'm sure she'll enjoy hearing i, I attribute a lot of my professional intellectual um and, and leadership success to, uh, you know, those formative years uh, where, where my mom had a, a huge influence um, on me. So neither of my parents has a technical background. And uh, my, my full sister is the first African-American PhD female out of MIT in mechanical engineering. And uh, I, uh, of course, as you mentioned, did a PhD at University of Minnesota in chemical engineering. And uh, to my knowledge, I was the, uh, the, the second uh, black face to go through uh, that department in, in chemical engineering, um, the first being you know, decades earlier. So um, it, there was something unusual about how my parents raised us, especially given that they hadn't tread that ground before. And one of the big things that my mom did is she taught us, she taught us uh, to read early and she kept us away from screens uh, pretty uh, meticulously early on in our life. And instead I had blocks. I was playing chess at an early age. She helped us with problem solving. And, and so she fostered this sort of uh, creative mindset 
and also confidence that even if you haven't done it before, you can try and you're competent. I mean, the fact that you're small or younger doesn't mean you can't do it. It just might mean you have to learn how. And so I, I came at most problems at, in life as you go through with uh, sort of intrinsic courage. And that was born of confidence that my mom helped to instill in me from an early age, just from how she was exposing us and helping us to, to see things um, and, and challenge things in a productive and, and safe space. So uh, that was a, a big factor. Uh, my parents divorced when I was around um, 10 or 12, something like that. And um, so then my dad moved to Washington, D.C. He's now remarried uh, and lives in, in D.C. today. And uh, my mom raised us through. And so um, she was a teacher and then a principal and then an administrator. But those types of roles, um, they're time intensive, but they don't pay such that you're like living in a lot of luxury uh, you know, when you're raising two kids. So I would characterize my upbringing through middle school and high school as, if you will, sort of uh, lower middle class type of environment. We always had food and clothes and there was never any, you know, like fundamental lack. I never had, it was, was not a hard luck story at all. None of that. But, um, you know, as far as like at 16, I didn't have a car, you know, <laughs> for some friends and classmates, they might have a car, a little, you know, Jeep Cherokee or driving down the street. I, I none of that. I was taking a bus. Right. So, um, and I worked uh, part-time jobs in, in high school. And so there was this aspect of feeling like a little bit left out. And you know how kids are materialistic in middle school and high school. What kind of shoes do you have? What kind of clothes do you have and all that? So I definitely uh, in, internalized some of that as well. Um, the in crowd wasn't in it, right? <laughs> um, so I, I think as I went through high school, a lot of that sort of the, the power of academic prof proficiency and strength, a lot of that waned, but the capability didn't. You know, my, my, my sister was more focused and so she didn't get distracted as, as much uh, through high school, but I, I, I did some, you know, sports, basketball, video games, whatever have you. Um, but I still was able to do very well on standardized tests. And I liked chemistry and math. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, and so I, did, I took AP classes kind of for fun. Got a C or a D in the class, but I did a four or five on the AP exam. So it was clear, you know, I was, I was a very capable student uh, that was not manifesting that in my work habits. And uh, I was fortunate because of my standardized test scores and because of some of the correction factors that are applied if you go to a magnet school and you're taking AP courses and so forth, uh, my GPA and test scores still qualified me for a very nice scholarship at Florida A&M. Uh, Frederick, uh, President Frederick Humphreys uh, at the time um, you know, met with me personally and said, if you major in chemical engineering, um, this uh, this company I've never heard of called 3M uh, is going to, to fund a scholarship. So I, I, I took a scholarship and internship package um, with FAMU right on the spot during that, that conversation. And, um, and so that's how I went from Philadelphia to Tallahassee. 
And I made up my mind, you know, I was really going to, to change the way I'd been functioning as a student. If I wasn't going to do well, it wasn't going to be because I didn't try. And so I had, I, I recognized I had a, 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 a tremendous opportunity in front of me and I made the most of it. And so I, I went down to college and I had very high grades. You know, I think it was like 3.95 GPA or something like that in Kimmy and uh, earned a National Science Foundation fellowship um, and was a recruited student into to grad school. So things started to turn around from there academically. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I went to, uh, to 3M after that. Yeah, no, that's way cool. I, I mean, honestly, I think one of the two of the things that stick out for me is that the fact that you had that um, foundation that everything was figure outable. Mm -hmm. younger. And that's something that honestly came to me in college um, in engineering because stuff was so hard. And mm. then you, know, you just have to, I finally reached the point where I was like, wait a minute, because when I go in class, he's going to figure it out. So obviously it's figure outable. So the right, fact right, that right. Was, yeah, like that's something that you already knew and you had that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah. Also, another thing that sticks out for me is how you were so successful. You knew the stuff, you knew your stuff. It just didn't show on, you know, maybe grades, but on the AP test it showed. So, um, you know, we're talented. It, it shows how like sometimes talent can slip away. What if, you know, you didn't pursue it any further just because in, in your grades, it, it didn't work. Yeah, it's, it's true. And I mean, I, you know, I was very fortunate um, to have people kind of look towards me and, and give me a chance. Not everybody has that. Um, that there was some some redemptive aspect of the the way that I went through college and the way that I came into graduate school and being able to finish what nine years of of secondary education, undergraduate and then doctoral program. Uh, not just with no debt, but actually making money in the process through, you know, your fellowship funding um, and, and internships, you know, which are paid. I, 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 and I can't take credit for that, right? I mean, somebody had to, like, there are people that had to arrange for there to be those opportunities for a student. And we're seeing, a, you know, very gratifying. We're seeing more of that happening now after a couple of decades uh, where that, that sort of funding and support had dried up quite a bit. So um, and it was transformative for me, no question. I mean, I, like you, you mentioned, I have uh, four kids, I'm married, uh, that's, that kind of stuff doesn't, I'm active in the community, I serve in boards, that kind of stuff doesn't happen if you're not functioning from a position of influence and, and visibility and impact. And it was enabled through education. Yeah, so. yeah, which is such a, a common thing for, I, 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 well, we'll go on to the episode, but that's, I was going to say like a, kind of one of the motivators for this podcast was the fact that that is almost a dream. So to a lot of us, when we enter colleges that we could be in your shoes, you know, we could live a life, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that you live, you know, living in your passion and kind of like this common thread of what you were interested in and how you were actually able to make it, you know, mm. uh, profitable doing mm -hmm. something that, that interested you. So I think yeah, that's yeah. Um, I do want to shift a little bit to the incubator sure. greatness section uh, where we just kind of speak about how you started out. Uh, you know, now that you, you FAMU, you did your internships with 3M and, you know, you're still with 3M. So mm -hmm. 
I want to know about how how was that process, even in college, um, how did they sell you on grad school? Because a lot of us, especially engineering curriculum, kind of want to peace out for some time before you get back into the books. Sure. How was that journey for you? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess that that's a discussion in itself around your motives and your values and what your sort of mission is and purpose. I, I, I knew I was going to grad school before I set foot on FAMU's campus. It was, I was already resolved. I, I had the conversation with my mom. I remember about, um, you know, how well I was going to be prepared for grad school going into uh, Florida A&M, uh, which she didn't know anything about as an HBCU my sister, uh, you know, would go on to MIT. It's, we're in the Northeast, right? So it's like all these schools around, the schools and, you know, land grant institution in the Southeast, she just didn't know about it. And so, um, yeah, I was trying to sell her. I was like, look, you know, so we put, went and pulled out data, but the data was really around the matriculation of undergrads from FAMU into, into grad school. And I just showed her the data. I was like, look, you know, I, I see a couple of students have gone on to big name uh, departments. And she was like, well, it's only a few. And I was like, if a few did it, I'm doing it. <laughs> so it was, you know, there was no question in my mind about where I was headed. And, uh, and that was because I, by that time, had a strong conviction that this is what I was going to do. And I think regardless whether it's grad school or whatever, um, life has enough challenges embedded. It is worth having that. <laughs> If you don't, then that's where you get back to the meditation, prayer, or whatever. Think about like you exist for a reason. Why? It's, it's not you know. It's not for superfluous, trend, you know, temporary stuff. Like so, um, what what are you for? And then what's the path to, to getting that? And then you do it and you dedicate to it. So so that that was the mindset around you know undergrad to grad school. There was never any doubt about that part. Um, and then I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask. So it was just a matter of you wanted to, um, I guess, reach a height in your education, educational journey, or was it like you felt that if you went to grad school, you'd have better opportunities career-wise? Sure. So um, I, the the yeah the motive around graduate school at the at the beginning was in maybe not the most healthy, but it was around proving capability. Like I did it, I can do that. And there was this challenge that I had in my mind. I didn't actually know why it was a benefit. <laughs> it was more like I had already set the goal. The target was here. Whether or not that's the right target wasn't really as good as much a consideration. And, and that's always a fair question. Like, what, tar what should your target be? Should it be, you know, go through school, work a couple of years, go for an MBA or a JD or work as a professional engineer? You know, all of those are good. I had pre-decided pre that I was going to go and get a PhD. And I was very committed to that, you know, to being prepared for that. And, and you know, th this notion of academic and professional excellence, like I... I tried playing, you know, football, basketball. I was not going to be a pro athlete. <laughs> so I, I knew that I knew that was not going to be my trajectory early on, right? So as much as I might like that stuff, I knew I knew that wasn't going to be me. So uh, so what is it going to be? And are you going to be good at it? Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to be uh, a scientist and I'm going to be good at that. So that was and 
you know, scientists, if you're going to be cutting edge, then you want to get like well-trained and you get prepared in undergrad, but you refine, you increase your capability in graduate school. And that, I had that part right in understanding. And that was just from individual or I should say independent research that you were able to kind of form that. Cause that's very audacious to say, Hey, I'm going to be a scientist. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had, I had picked up enough, maybe just through interaction. Um, and then I knew what I was good at. I'm a good problem solver. And so I, I recognized and appreciated that. Come on, Instagram, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, even from, you know, just pre previous experiences into high school. So I, I had some confidence and I mentioned about that, you know, like, my mom helped with that a lot with our upbringing. Like I, I, I was not scared of any problem. It, it, you know, if it's a solvable problem and you give me the information, I felt like I can do it. Give me enough time, I can solve any problem. So, um, so I, I wanted to deploy that capability in the scientific field. And I like math and chemistry. So the rest of it kind of fell into place. And then when I heard about a scholarship for chemical engineering, FAMU, done. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were interning with 3M this whole, like throughout your whole undergrad and graduate time, or were you able to kind of date other companies? Uh, no, so I didn't ever, so I, I interned at 3M uh, continuously through undergrad, not in graduate school. I just worked straight through grad. I did several internships while I was an undergrad student. And, and that's changed now. Uh, you don't normally see people after early, you know, freshman or sophomore years doing internships because you don't really know enough. So they usually have you wait until your junior year and then you can do other things in your earlier summers. But, um, but yeah, so I, I only interned at 3M. Uh, I didn't, I interned in multiple places. So Austin, Texas, Columbia, Missouri, as well as in St. Paul, manufacturing, laboratory, uh, different divisions, um, different kinds of products in, in chemistry. So um, I had a fairly broad set of exposures even before finishing my PhD, and that helped me a lot in my in my grad school. Mm -hmm. And you say you worked straight through grad school, so you yep. worked. At yes. Uh, no, no, no. When I mean, I just meant uh, I I was a full time student from start to finish at okay. University of Minnesota, so I didn't do any. You, you know, you don't really take jobs. Um, that's changing some now, um, you know, many students are coming, especially international students, they haven't really had a chance to do any industrial exposure. So uh, by the time they've gone academic training all the way through undergrad in another country, maybe, and then come here and do grad school, and then they're trying to get a job, it's hard if they haven't really set foot in an industrial space at all. So uh, there, there is a little bit more appetite to try to give some opportunities there. But um, at the time it was pretty you know, common to just stay a, a student and, and work full-time as a student working on your thesis research and helping to publish papers. And, and then when you're finished doing that, you write your thesis and, and move on. So then your launch from grad school into corporate, your official launch where you become a full-time professional. How was that? Were you prepared? Did you have your eye on some positions and had you already kind of charted what you wanted your trajectory to be as you had done before you mm. stepped foot in FAMU? How was that process? Yeah, so it was interesting. The economy had changed some. So when I was finishing undergrad, uh, if you had a 3.0 GPA 
and uh, an engineering degree, you would have three or four offers <laughs> from lots of different companies. It was a very uh, a favorable time to go and get a job. And so I thought it was going to be like that when I finished graduate school, but it was not. At the time, uh, there wasn't much in the way of hiring. And I actually, even though I had interned at 3M and I had uh, done all of uh, you know this, this work, they had funded my college and supported my grad research a little bit. Uh, I thought I was just going to wave a hand and say, okay, I'm ready to start working now. But I had to actually knock on a few doors, which was eyebrow raising at least. Uh, but I did after knocking around, you know, and I, I sent a couple of notes. And I was like, look, you know, you supported me here and now I'm ready to work. Do you really want me to go find another job, another company? So, uh, and the answer is no, they just, you know, it took a little time. So we, anyway, I got, I had two offers. I took one of those, um, two offers from 3M. And I did actually interview because of this exchange. I did interview at a few other companies. I did have a couple of other uh, uh, job offers. Um, one was actually back in Philly, uh, which was, you know, was a little tempting because, you know, it's hometown and all that. Uh, but uh, once the offer did come through from fam uh, from 3M, I, I took that. Uh, the other thing um, was that um, uh, while I was in graduate school, maybe three years in, three and a half years in, uh, I met my wife here uh, who had uh, come to work at 3M. So she was a 3M employee uh, we didn't meet at 3M. Uh, we, we met at uh, a church here. Um, and so anyway, we were, we were going to get married. And so we, we got married right when I was finishing my degree, uh, right before I started working. But during that time, we knew we were going to get married. And, you know, me taking a job at another company was not that attractive because then she would have to leave. So I was really trying to do what I could to get a job at 3M. So I was happy that worked out. And uh, so then, uh, you know, I come into to 3M and uh, I hired into what's called the consumer business. You mentioned in the intro uh, that 3M makes industrial and healthcare and consumer products. And so I hired into the space that it does uh, command adhesive and post-it notes and magic tape and filtered filters and, you know, that space where you buy products in, in mass retailers such as, you know, Target or Walmart or so forth. And the specific area that I was working in was not tech forward, if you will. Like I, in, in my thesis research, I was doing a lot of sort of um, uh, intensive synthesis or characterization with expensive big equipment and, uh, you know, cutting edge for polymer science. That's, that's what you're supposed to do if you're doing research. And so when I came to 3M, the area that I was working in was a little bit more of a mature business where it's, uh, for lack of a better description now, sort of in more of a harvest mode where uh, big business, profitable, not growing as much. And so they're trying to do a lot to, to get cash out of that business rather than invest a lot, a lot of people, a lot of instrumentation and tech to grow. And so I'm hired into that space. And uh, for a couple of years, I kind of toiled in, uh, in what I thought were less attractive, less impactful, and um, you know, from a, a business perspective, dubious products, uh, projects. And so I wondered, like, did I do this right? Did I go to the right spot? Should I try to look around the other company or the rest of the company and see what other, because there are spaces at 3M like that where it is cutting edge. And, and tech forward. So I was like, well, maybe I should go and try to get into one of those. And so, um, 
you know, I, I started to look around before I had really done anything, right? I had dabbled and tried to work on some programs. I would, you know, you get assignments, they ask you to do X, Y, and Z, but if X, Y, and Z isn't going to really be that impactful in the market, eventually those programs will get paused or killed or whatever. And so I started to look around internally and my uh, manager's manager, the, the lab head or tech director, um, she, she heard about that. And so she confronted me uh, in, a, in a very positive uh, way. And she, she gave me one of the teaching moments of my career. Um, you know, she, she talked about, she you know, exchanged with me about what I was doing. And I shared a little bit about why and like why I was concerned. You know, I was working on stuff that wasn't very clear as far as, you know, impact. And she said, you know, you're a PhD. Um, we hired you less to, to evaluate or look for opportunities, but to create and propose and catalyze opportunities for us. You haven't done that, right? Um, so I want to challenge you to, to understand our business well enough. Um, we're a big business and we have big competitors. Understand our business well enough and you help us see what we should do to grow, right? And that was a complete uh, transformation in the way I thought about my responsibility as a resource for shareholders to create a return on investment. Um, I was still coming at it like a student almost, right? What's my assignment today? Yeah. Do I get a, a, a good grade on this assignment? And that's, that's very different than a growth catalyst and a leader where the discussion is really around what's right to do? Where can we win? Uh, what models do we need to employ? What resources and proposals and, and business platforms can we create? And how do we know our customers well? So. Um, so I, you know, I, I did, I went ahead and tried to do that and successfully, you know, we, we created a line of consumer adhesives that we, you know, scaled up and sold in, in the mass market. Uh, and that turned into my first supervisory role. And then I moved on to a number of different roles from there. Wow. Awesome story. Um, first, how did you go about even, um, I guess, so, so when you started, did you have a team at all or it was just you, you alone, or were there other people in the same role as you? Did you have like a class of new, new, hmm. um, you know, folks? How yeah. did that go? Fair question. So, so 3M has several thousand uh, technical professionals right here in St. Paul and considerably more if you think about around the world. Um, in the U.S. are our lab centers then and now. Uh, or St. Paul and Austin. So, um, and of course, not everybody works in the same areas. You know, there's all different kinds of portfolios and divisions, and there's a central laboratory. And so as you hire into 3M, you become a member of that broader technical community. And um, one of our, our uh, distinctions as a, a company is that we work really hard to have a culture where the technical community, doesn't matter where you work, you have a sort of a code that you help one another solving problems, sharing ideas. If you call up an expert in adhesives or abrasives or uh, wound therapy, th they will take time to share what they know. That's how we're supposed to work with one another. And if you don't do that, word spreads really fast, right? So everybody understands that that's how we work. And so, um, so to answer your question, in my, in my work group, there were maybe seven or eight uh, researchers 
that reported to the same manager and they would work on any number of different uh, product development or commercialization or cost reduction types of technical initiatives specific to a given portfolio. But more broadly than that, we are intrinsically sort of tied to that community of thousands and it's arranged into different um, interest groups in a technical forum where people might think about nanotechnology or uh, data science or adhesives, polymers, um, and uh, uh, specialty processing or so forth. And so that's how we get our, our individual projects done. We, we might, you know, look with, uh, work with the person down the hall or in the cubicle next to us and say, hey, I'm, you know, working on X, Y, or Z, what do you think? But we also actively and are encouraged to tap into that broader network of, of technical leaders around the company. It doesn't matter which area they're in. Um, you kind of take the time to understand your, your, your inquiry, your problem, um, and then have a clear statement so that people are efficient when they help. But then you go out and make sure everybody's aware of how they can contribute. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm interested to know how you were able to stand apart from the others, from other folks, you know, to then grant yourself, you know, the supervisory role after uh, projects where you, you know, stepped up and, and you know, sure. raised your hand. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a very uh, important topic and, and, a, and a good one to, to raise. Um, I was about to, had I continued blindly on the path, that I was going to go on on my own where I started looking around the company. And, you know, I, I probably would have been successful in having somebody hire me to take, take me on as a, a researcher in another group. And at the time, it would have seemed like a good move because I'm going into something that's trendy. Um, at the, you know, at, at that time, multi-layer optical film was just taking off the, the uh, component of screens that go into digital devices all around the world. Um, so, uh, it, you know, that, that was the, the sexy uh, area to be in in the company. Um, and so had I done that, I would have probably certainly not be where I am now, but I would have undermined my career quite a bit. And, and the reason is that the transition that you just talked about, whether you stay technical or stay as an individual contributor, I guess it's to say, not everybody's going to be in an, a technical field, right? Um, or move into some sort of a supervisory manager role. Sponsorship in large enterprises is uh, alpha to omega, A to, a to Z, um, the, the important thing and, and mechanism for that. And you don't, you don't select sponsors, you don't uh, invite sponsors, you don't, um, you know, you can, you can ask somebody to mentor you. You can't get somebody to sponsor you. They choose to do that. They, it's, it's like almost like venture capitalists. They choose to put their money wherever they feel like it. And sponsors do the same thing. They select uh, and empower and elevate, accelerate whomever uh, they, they see fit. And they do it for lots of different reasons, but generally uh, to, to enhance their legacy and then also to, uh, to enhance the performance of the company. And so since it's so critical, right? And since if that part is invisible to you, your, your uh, best opportunity, if you're desiring to sort of progress within a large company and work there for a while 
is to do the kinds of things that attract sponsors. And that is the opposite of moving around by your own volition because you think something down the street is neat. Anybody can do that. It's a lot, it's a lot uh, more, I don't know, challenging and, and important to create and to be seen as a creator of opportunities in any sort of difficult business setting. Um, and, and so if you're able to go into those places where maybe not everybody is crowding and then come out with cash <laughs> opportunity, uh, a narrative around uh, business development, uh, then you stand out like a sore thumb and you create an economic incentive for the company to uh, progress you and to give you uh, more span of scope or, or influence or visibility promotions, whatever have you. Um, and I mean, a part of it is great because it's like, hey, you know, we're taking Taylor and we're making her this and everybody can clap and celebrate. But a part of it is mercenary. It's like, all right, because Taylor is now in that spot, she's about to do X, Y, and Z and that's what we need, right? So you're, you're, you're sort of showing that you're, you can play bigger than where you are. And when you show that, um, then the, you know, the sponsorship part happens a lot more naturally and a lot more quickly than, you know, you might, might appreciate. The flip side is also true. Um, by, by failing to, to exhibit uh, a selflessness and a, a servant leadership mindset, willing to kind of stay in place and produce and work your trade and grow the harvest um, for a period of time until you're tapped on the shoulder, um, you also can drive sponsors away and they're pretty hard to reattract. Mm, that's a good one. Pretty hard to reattract. Um, so your first role, your first, I guess, uh, promotion, so to speak, you know, um, the first time you were granted additional responsibility, were you now like, okay, I can see clearly now, I see this path to more leadership, I see where I can go, or were you just like, okay, I've been promoted, um, you know, I have more responsibility, great, you know, let's just see where it takes me. Like, did you sit down once you're promoted and then write, write out a game plan and how you could get to, you know, perhaps where you are now or where you just like, yeah. okay, I'm here and we'll just see where this goes. Yeah, it, it sounds, it, it might sound a lot more laissez-faire than, than what many might like, but it's very much the second thing. I have actually resisted uh, the notion of career mapping, career pathing, um, because largely because of what I just mentioned around sponsorship, the sponsor knows all the jobs that might exist. I don't, right? The job that I'm in right now, I have no predecessor. It was created. And then I was the first person put into it. I couldn't have said I want to do X because X didn't exist. Um, and so, and, and my previous job was similar. I did have a predecessor, but I wasn't, I had no conception that I was going to do my previous job before this one. I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be in my lab leader role in the safety business, I don't know, for a few years and kind of keep working at it. And I'm content. I'm happy. I can see how I can contribute. I'm passionate. Um, I, I love my team. And, and so 
yeah, to, to answer your question, it, it's, it's not, I'll just kind of sit and, and, you know, this will be how it is for a while. I am very much on mission. Um, but it's, it's the, the mission is not about um, my, my career path. Uh, that part, I, I spend almost no time thinking about. Now in, in, in my current role, I might think about it a little bit, but not very much. And it's mostly in the context of, you know, am I continuing to grow? Am I, what do I need to keep learning and building to stay and, and keep growing in relevance, right? Um, because in senior leadership roles, they're intrinsically, they're fewer, right? And so, and the, the difference between one role and another can be quite significant. So in order to be um, mobile and portable, um, there, you have to be a little deliberate about what things you learn, right? Because your time is limited, your decisions really matter as far as uh, what investments you make. So it's in that spirit of like measure twice, cut once that I, I think about, okay, where am I trying to go? Yeah, wow. Oh, those are some good bars you just dropped there. <laughs> I hope everyone got their jewelry boxes and picked up jewels because I, I definitely was. Um, that was great uh, about how could you know, you know, you. Mm. You're just yeah. that's you and living out, you know, your yeah. optimal self brought yeah. you to a higher level. So that that's a pretty cool, cool story. Um yeah, that's true. I, yeah, yeah. So so on that note a little bit and mm -hmm. and kind well, yeah, we'll stay on this note really quickly. Sure. Section about how you were able to differentiate differentiate yourself. I want to know a little bit about your characteristics, your persona in the workplace. Are there things that are identifiable by, you know, Cordell? Like, oh my gosh, yeah, Cordell always comes in and he always says, good morning, I was saying hi, or he always has yeah. his coffee, two creams. Like, what are some of the things that are regimen for you in the workplace mm -hmm. that are identifiable? Sure, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, so a, a, there are a few things that I'll, I'll at least wave at. Um, from the technical perspective, um, I, I have been known to be, and you know, I'm not in a lab anymore, right? So like the, the, the scientist piece, you, it, it's only indirectly that I deploy that on a daily basis now. I still need to be technical um, and, and aware, but it's mostly ideas and connections and networks and so forth. Um, but the, the ability to think in the abstract about objective content and to create and to produce an influence based on that um, and, and again, the problem-solving aspect. I, I'm, I'm recognized as a as a solution provider. Solution providers are valuable because companies have lots of problems, right? So, um, so that's one thing. Uh, I deliberately and, and talk about this. I mean, I, you know, I, people might say I've even over. I might overdo the servant leadership bit, but um, I, I'm really focused on. Um, you know, subordinating personal interest for the sake of community, company, society, 
And then in the process of doing that, the, the, the blowback is, is favorable, right? <laughs> there, you know, there's compensation there, there's recognition, but in intending to pull a lever so that you create a favorable benefit for others, uh, that's attractive, right? You're, you're, people will deal with you in good faith because you're, they perceive correctly that you're only trying to help. If you're, if you're not trying to like figure out how you can get a little, you know, like a millimeter more of the turf and take a, just a little bit more from somebody else, they don't want to deal with, they deal with that all the time, right? So instead it's like, hey, I'm trying to give as much as you need while still being able to take care of my responsibilities. I'm on your team, we're working on this together. They want team members like that. And so you end up getting pulled into stuff and accelerated and all that. Um, I'm, you know, <laughs> as you notice, right? African-American men. Uh, so coming to the party with that diverse background um, and, and not in the sense of like quota affirmative action part, um, although no question, uh, the, the intention to diversify and increase representation has been a theme from my high school years on, right? I mean, some of the scholarship programs, all of that was overtly around uh, equity and social justice and, and representation. Um, but beyond that, like the, the, the perspective of the African-American consumer and scientist employee, um, in order for us to have a stable society, like it has to be an inclusive society. And so in the marketplace of ideas, you need to make sure that Asian American and Caucasian and male, female, uh, you know, the, the whole range of perspectives is represented. And so I bring that where, um, as you're probably well aware, you know, uh, black folks are underrepresented in, in the scientists, in the sciences and engineering in many cases. So, so that's another distinction, right? Um, I am hands-on. Um, even as a manager, like uh, I, I'm not going to try to do my direct reports or the scientists' work, but I actually try to get deep into the details just for the sake of understanding, so I can lead whatever the initiative is more more uh, effectively. And so, you know, for example, right now I am uh, I'm taking a, a machine learning course um, through one of the uh, the researchers here who's teaching, he serves as an adjunct professor as well. So he's teaching a, a machine learning course with Python. And so we're all going on this journey together. And I perceived that there was a need for, he's doing theory uh, and, and math and then examples, but there is no coding. So I said, you know, oh, I'll fund uh, the development of a parallel, a set of documents around, you know, coding and Python, exemplifying some of the uh, the case studies that he's dealing with, with commented code in Python that people can actually work with, right? So it, it took both having the hands-on detail, but then also the leadership resource access. I don't have to go and ask for approval. I can just fund that, right? So those two things, um, you know, are, are, are great to have. And I try to be an asset to the company that way. And so, you know, I, I think that's a part of my brand. Yeah. And, and that actually also transitions us to, you know, another section about making it 
you know, uh, do you feel that you've made it and, you know, you being able to have access, uh, like you said, to push some things through are, are benefits of the position you're in now. Are there additional benefits, you know, um, what are some of the, the things that you've been able to have access to that, you know, maybe you didn't even imagine you'd be able to experience. I know you had mentioned before traveling was something you've been able to do, you know, as Grimm's Worldwide Corporation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, curious to know. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit, I, I would say, on the, the biggest one. Um, <laughs> on a recording, uh, I, I am I'm not going to talk too much about like the the the, the the benefit of pay right oh no um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um but, but i mean cer certainly i mean again we, we have four kids right four kids turn into four adults uh so you know leadership right. roles certainly come with you know those sorts of benefits that's great um we're honored and, and blessed to, to to have that type of experience um but as far as just personal um yeah. journey the the travel has been transformative for me. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I, I don't think I had gone south of, I went to North Carolina for a funeral once when I was maybe 10 or 11. And besides that, hadn't gone out of, you know, Philly to New York area, maybe ever, right? Um, Disney World one time, right? So very poorly traveled on a relative basis. And many people like that, right? It's not, I wasn't uncommon, didn't know any better. And so, you know, from that into in the last 10 years, you know, these with uh, you know, moving into global roles where you have global influence or now global formal assignments, you know, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, uh, Australia, Thailand, China, uh, Korea, Japan, you know, long Germany, UK. I mean, it's a long list, India, long list of uh, countries that you get a chance to, to, to travel to. And that's, you know, when you get to see the world from that perspective and you think about, I mean, for, for me, like you grow up in, uh, in the US and you, you know, as a, as a black American, how, how um, intrinsically like uh, ethnicity and the narrative of the country plays into so many dynamics. I mean, the George Floyd trial is happening right now. It's, you know, you know so all that stuff is very impactful in our immediate surroundings. Um, but you, you go to some other countries where it's, you know, different background. I mean, you know, like, uh, uh, being, being black or being a minority in India or China, you know, there, there isn't, they have other things that they think about, but it's just, it's not that, right? Um, so you get these cultural influences and perspectives um, that you get to bring back, bring into your family, bring into your thinking, uh, bring into your business. And so that's been good. Um, the other, you know, I'd mentioned, you, you talked about serving in the community. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice pair, you know, lead in the company. So you get qualified to serve on boards for, you know, nonprofits. They want you to come and deploy, wield your influence to help bring resources in and all that. Um, but then you learn, uh, you develop leadership, leadership acumen through your board service that you get to bring back into work. And so, you know, I serve as a treasurer for an organization that has, you know, revenues in the, the tens of millions of dollars, right? Um, so, you know, it's a scale organization. 
and you know uh, lots of employees and serves you know forty thousand patients. Um, so I've I've appreciated getting that exposure and the satisfaction from feeling like you have a small touch on you know impacting uh, the lives of of a good number of people. It makes a difference. Yeah. And question on that, how, how are you able to just figure it out? Because, you know, you mentioned before you came from, you know, pretty straightforward beginnings uh, in your upbringing. Uh, how, how, as you were ascending in this corporate ladder, were you able to get all your ducks in a row? Were you able to know how to reach for boards or, you know, uh, give back at at scale or you know what have you and influence your community and mm. also keep it together at work um how did it all work together for you and did you end up getting additional mentors or were people kind of assigned to you so to speak you know how a sponsor um would see you maybe a sponsor made themselves visible to you and then helped you out mm. yeah yeah you know so maybe a, a little bit of all of the above. I've been helped by a ton of people. Some people take an interest in me and say, hey, I want to, uh, to help here. You know, I've been recommended, hey, go in and seek out this person. Uh, so I'll, I'll go and do that. Um, but I, I would say this, the 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 biggest theme for, is, is really around values i'm yeah i'm not i'm not perfect i've made some you know big mistakes through my my life um and, and so uh in the in the context of you know trying to do the right thing um trying to to serve i mean all of us are going to have those mess ups you have some roles that don't work out or you have you know challenges at home or whatever um you know that that's part of part of the journey. I, I like having this background that's sort of chaotic. My son is back there doing some work right now. I mean, th th I'm, I'm just a man like anybody else, right? With imperfections and, and limits. And, and so uh, you, we, we need that cloud of support. I didn't just figure it out. <laughs> I stumbled, <laughs> I struggled. Um, I, you know, but the values as a compass, like this is the right direction. This is the right thing. All you can do on a given day is, is the right thing at that time. And sometimes the right thing is thinking about the future. But once you're presented with this is the right way, this is the wrong way, you know, the, the struggle all of us will have is like orienting towards the the right the right path you know offering the very best that you have to your employer to your family to your community all the time and um and so it, whether you you know develop to become a senior leader in a big company or start your own business or continue to work in a relatively you know a humble job faithfully for decades and contribute in lots of other ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's your story and you have, you know, you own it, be proud of it. Um, but the best way to be proud of it is to make sure that you're living according to your values and that those values are the right, right values. Right. Um, and, you know, we, we see all around us, whether in administration or government or in our community, you know, either when the values are wrong or when the person doesn't stick to their values and might say, this is right but I did that, you know, and, and the results speak for themselves. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, um, I guess a really, uh, a point that I've been interested in because, you know, even just, uh, entry level into an organization in a role that I'm in, you know, I've already, um, kind of done better than a lot of the grown people, you know, adults mm. in my family. And so, and I'm nowhere near, you know, your stature uh, right now. So it's just, you know, and yet I've had to, I've been conflicted with lots of things and trying to figure out how to give back properly, how to make sure I'm well financially. I think a lot of us uh, young folks in corporate, Black in corporate, you know, and unfortunately just the conditions of our country, a lot of us, uh, you know, do have beginnings that are not lavish. Um, mm -hmm. And so we end up being kind of the highest earning folks in our family. Um, and it's just, just figuring that out, having that tug of war, that balance of like how to do things right. Like you said, people, folks will help you. And so that's, that's encouraging to hear. Um, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. It, it is something that I definitely face. And I know like a lot of my peers face it and just trying to mm -hmm. navigate the best ways. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in your inaugural uh, Black Plus Corporate uh, podcast, I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, right? yes. <laughs> How do you manage that? You know, uh, like, what, what's your thought about, because you, you just laid out a real challenge, you know, in, in some ways you're like leading in your family, um, or maybe not you, but others, you know, how, how do you, what, what's your thought? Um, how do you take some of that pressure on? And how do you um, manage it so that you keep growing and that you strike the right balance between allowing people to have responsibility for, you know, some of the um, outcomes of their pursuits, um, their decisions, and then at the same time, giving back and, and, and contributing and being a, a, a trustworthy partner in your family. Yeah, I definitely do it the conversation with my friends. I have mm -hmm. a lot of friends. I'm, I'm also a Gates Millennium Scholar. So okay. a lot of my, thanks a lot of my peers from that, um, they're literally like family to me and they, we came from a lot of the same beginnings and, you know, they work at companies like mine. And so they really give me advice and tips and I'm able to take some here and there, put them together for how I, you know, move with my family. And then also reading books. Um, I'm an audible person, so okay. I love to read, uh, to listen to my books uh, and just, realize that I only get one life. And so, you know, being mindful mm -hmm. of family, but also remaining true to me and, you know, making sure I get the most out of this life um, because mm -hmm. I'll be the only one at the end of the day, unfortunately, in that casket. So it's, it's yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's kind of yeah. how I balance it. But yes, yeah, it's, it's always so cool to me to see how uh, other Black executives are there. You know, you guys, in my mind, you all made it. So it's like, wow, how do they just, it all came together. They hold these cool roles. They do this stuff with their community. It's great family. But like you said, you know, you're still human. You're a real person. Um, that's just, you know, encouraging to hear. So just wanted to touch on that. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess that's a good segue into legacy. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, so. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I was no, no, please, I'll, 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 I'll wait, go ahead. Sorry, I just snorted on the, on the podcast. Um, but I was going to say, that's a good segue. Yeah, I, I snort when I laugh. So that one, I let that one out. But 
<laughs> didn't mean uh, the charming sort. <laughs> um, I wanted to know about your legacy and what you're hopeful about leaving. I mean, here hmm. and also advice. I mean, we could get into other stuff. I feel like we could talk for a whole nother episode because, of course, there's other questions like absolutely I, invite yeah. me back. It's, that's it's your show. You decide. So. <laughs> you deal with you know like other black professionals in the workplace wanting help and advice maybe they're not all the way qualified but they're asking you to help them get on mm -hmm. that you know all of that stuff managing up those things and I think you've touched on a lot of things um mm -hmm. but sure, sure. yeah I know we could go a whole other direction um, yeah, that, yeah that, that, those are interesting topics yeah so um well I'll, like I said I'll, I'll I'll wait for you to let me know uh when and if you want to, to talk about all that stuff that's good um legacy uh, I, I hope i'm still writing it um and you know I, while while i am uh no longer in the, the the early stages of my career for sure um i i still you know feel like there's a lot of gas in the tank and so uh, there's a lot that i i aspire to to do um and so societal impact has been sort of the, the, the general direction, like community and societal can be big scale world country, uh, can be within the neighborhood. It can be um, with, you know, a focus on equity and social justice. I'm, you know, certainly very well aware of the uh, the impact that you know disparities have had in the United States and and even around the world. I mean, you know, some very tough stories uh, in other countries as well. And so, you know, um, you know, guided uh, largely, you know, through through my faith and in God and and just you know this uh, notion that you know to to whom much is given, much is expected. And um, if you're if you're a recipient of gifts or abilities or resources, you know, once you have enough money, once you have enough food, you know, you can only wear so many clothes at one time. Once you have enough clothes, you only can wear two shoes at a time, right? And so there, there's, there's this point of enough. And if you have more than enough, then you get some discretion, right? You have some choices to make. It's wonderful. It's an honor to make those choices. But it, to me, it's folly to make those choices to like just focus on how many more shoes I can acquire, right? <laughs> that's, that's not doing anybody any good. So instead, it's like, how can we get as many shoes on feet as possible is a different question. So, so that's kind of, you know, thinking about uh, like wealth equity, healthcare equity, um, the, you know, the difficult situation that we face with uh, uh, criminalization and, and uh, disproportionate law enforcement interactions, um, you know, very prominent on display. Um, so, you know, how do I make a difference in, in the, the public space? Um, and so, you know, there's there's more opportunity there than there's time. So I have to think about that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, um, that was that was a great way of putting it. I actually really I enjoyed that uh, you know, this point of enough. 
mm-hmm. I think um, is really good to kind of meditate on. Uh, so I appreciate you you mentioning that. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, with all your years now and how you've climbed the, the corporate ladder um, at 3M, you know, at the same company, and there are only, well, I shouldn't say there are only, but I'm sure there are more uh, folks that stay on one company, but I know folks in my generation, you know, we like to bounce around um, uh, and switch it up. What kind of advice would you give to people who, you know, can't even fathom spending so many years at one company to how to reinvent and, you know, make it new yeah. every day? Yeah, I, I would love to spend a lot of time on that um, because it, there's no one right answer for sure, but there are right and wrong decisions given the situation. And it really gets back to why, you know, why are you moving? Why are you staying, right? If you're, if you're growing, economically productive, if you're relevant to your employer and the, the, your employer is relevant to society, if it's relevant to your values, if it aligns to your values, um, then the, your, your staying and being productive is creating um, you know, quite a bit of impact, right? So it, there's a switching cost. I guess that might be the best way to help frame that discussion is if you're going to switch and bounce around, you have to appreciate there is a switching cost. And it doesn't mean you can't pay it. Um, It goes beyond financial, it's relational, it's your political capital, um, it's your reputation, all those things. Um, Many people are moving around and I'm not knocking it at all. Um, There's, you know, it's really around your motives and, you know, being uh, fairly, uh, strategic and, and intellectually honest, intellectually honest about why, like what's making you do it? Is it boredom? Do you feel like the grass is greener on the other side? Do you feel like you can uh, make more money that way? You know, what's, what's really driving you? And you lay that out on the table and then align it with your values and what you believe your calling and reason for existing is, and that helps you to make the decision. Yeah. That's good. I, I really like that piece. Um, and to be respectful of time, I just want to uh, give you the space to kind of wrap it up in a bow or any like lasting words or advice that you'd give young sure. professionals, because I know that's definitely a reason why uh, I wanted this platform to, or uh, this podcast to exist is to really like, so we can hear from you all, learn from you all. So any advice, lasting words. Now, in the next few minutes of the podcast, the sound becomes a bit distorted, so I do want to apologize. I began experiencing some connection issues, but if you just hang on, it'll all come together. Thanks so much for listening so far, and I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Okay. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll first start with a thank you and an appreciation of vision here and and creating this space. Uh, I I wish um, if there's any way that I can be helpful um, to you, you know, I want to do that because I think this is a great idea. Um, And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, As far as just, you know, general advice you know, n- now is a tremendous opportunity 
um, you're you're at the beginning of a sort of an economic cycle. We're coming out of COVID. Um, there's a, a flood of capital coming into the economy. <laughs> we'll have to figure out what that means later on as far as debt and taxes and so forth. But you get to lead, right? Your decisions are actually going to drive that outcome, right? So yeah, that there's some challenges, but who's going to meet those? It's you. competitive and, and, and increasing your commanders uh, to this podcast. If you listen this long, you're, you're intellectually curious, which is great. And I just want to encourage you, you know, to keep building on that and keep striving and know that you have a lot of support, a lot of potential uh, and the world needs uh, what you have to offer. So um, I just uh, thank you for the time. Thank you. I know. On my end, my connection was a little unstable, but we were able to hear everything. But sorry about that. Hopefully, it comes out better. Um, but, but to listeners, sorry about that. Um, thank yeah, you. It's, so it's fine. I I got you. Yeah. <laughs> no no problem, Taylor. And uh, I appreciate you having me. It was an honor, and uh, I'll look forward uh, to to seeing uh, where you and and this project goes. It's really nice. Yeah, I'm excited too. I, I'm. I I picked up several jewels, like I say, you, you've been definitely dropping a lot of good words throughout this entire uh, episode, so um, it was definitely an hour well spent, and um, as you said, if, if you've listened this long, you are intellectually curious, and that also means that you were definitely engaged, but you're engaging, mm -hmm. uh, and, and do people call you Dr. Hardy, or is it no? Oh, no, not, I mean, at 3M, there's a lot of PhDs, so we don't, we don't do the Dr. Hardy, Cordell is fine, that's, that's, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right, yeah. well, thank you so very much, as I said, um, I'm really grateful that you were able to fit me in, um, and we're able to schedule this, so um, I appreciate it. My honor, it. thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good one.